You're listening to the Grace City Boston podcast. If you would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at gracecityboston.com or follow us on social media at Grace City Boston. Now, let's get to the sermon. So I talk to people a lot about uh, doing work here, doing ministry here, and so people will ask, like, hey, what is it like to um, do ministry in an urban context? Uh, what's it like in Boston? Kind of what are the you know, foundational things that the that people tend to struggle with, what's like at the root of, of who people are. Um, and so this is this is what I say, and some of you know this because we've actually had this conversation before, but um, I'm like, the majority of my work, what I'm trying to do is turn people from what I would call a posture of consuming to a posture of contributing. So from a, a, a posture of being primarily a consumer, of, of going to take things in, and turning that in a way that looks more faithfully like the way of Jesus and that honors God by having a posture of contribution. Um, think about it this way. Um, think about how you got into the city, or maybe you're staying in the city because you're from here, right? So, so if you're a student, you came to the city for what? You're like, I'm going to be in the city for the next one, two, three, four, 15 years, right? <laughs> like, I'm just going to, you know, some of that's, you know, undergrad and you're just taking your time. And some of that is like, you just, you love school so much, you're gonna be there forever, right? And, and so for you, you're coming to Boston and you're like, okay, I've got this thing in front of me, head down, got to get the grades lined in, got to do the thing so that I can get the other thing so that I can have the other thing that gets me to the other thing, right? And, and you're just, people that are in healthcare are like, yes. So like, that, that's kind of the thought, right? So you think, okay, I'm going to do the schoolwork. I got to do this. Everything else is cool, but the priority is this. It's a posture of consuming in the city of Boston. Uh, maybe you're from Boston, and all practical wisdom would say, if you're from the city of Boston, you move to the suburbs, right? There's no reason to pay what we pay to experience the inefficiency of public transportation, right? Can we, you know what I'm saying? You're like, where's the bus? Okay, cool, I guess they just stopped it today. So there's no reason to do that. You're like rent is how much, right? There's no reason to do that. This is my own personal therapy moment with you guys. Um, there's no reason to do that unless there's some kind of allure to the city. There's some type of, at a very practical level, uh, some, something that you can consume in the city that's keeping you here. Maybe you move to the city for work, right? And you're like, okay, job opportunity. It's in front of me. I'm in the city. I'm gonna do, I gotta do this for a few years. I'm gonna build my portfolio. I'm gonna build my resume. I'm gonna build my personal network, right? And so it's like, I'm just gonna, these next three to four to five years, I'm gonna grind really hard and get my bank account to a, a, a level that I like it at, right? Which is actually never a level that you get to. And so, but you're like, I'm, this is what I'm gonna do so that three to four, five years from now, I'll actually get to a place where I'm like, okay, now this is life. Like I'm gonna leave Boston and now I've arrived. Now I've arrived. The, the posture for the majority of us in the city of Boston, whether we would agree with it or not, is a posture of consuming. It's of taking. 
You see the resources of the city and you want the resources of the city. And the job, so, so a lot of my job is trying to turn that to say the most God-honoring Jesus way is a way of contribution. It's actually not consumption, although consuming isn't wrong, right? Like the city is a great place to live. I love the city. Restaurant, like everything, right? I love the energy. Of this. I, I love all of that part of the city, but it doesn't honor God if our, our base level posture is a posture of, of consuming. And, and so maybe you're here this morning and last week you were like, dude, politics, I, politics is not my thing, right? You're like, I can't even spell politics. You're like, I don't, you know, I've got to, you're like, last year, you're like, I'm dialed in, man. I'm not on the right or the left. I've got this healthy, you know, place that I'm kind of landed in. So last week, you're just sitting here like, oh, man, this is good, pastor. You know, keep bringing, and you're just like, you're like, oh, this is so good notes. I'm going to send this to my right-winged buddy, you know, or whatever, right? Maybe this morning, you're like, oh, crap. You're like, oh, career? Let's stay away from that, Right? Let's not get into that, but there's a very real reality that for a lot of you, it may not be political idolatry, but it's an idol of career. It's an idol of this particular thing, right? Um, a couple of years ago, uh, a couple of years ago, um, there's an article uh, that came out by Derek Thompson. And uh, it was in the Atlantic in 2019. And the title was, Workism is Making Americans Miserable. Uh, Workism is Making Americans Miserable. Uh, and basically what he looks at is this idea that um, the same thing that we looked at last week, that in the, pol- in, the, in the faith void, politics has stepped up in a lot of ways and said, hey, I'll be your God. I'll be your religion. Well, in 2019, uh, Derek wrote this, and I've just, it was, I just remember seeing all over the place, people were quoting all over the place. Uh, look, look what he says, a couple of things from this idea of workism is making Americans miserable. He says, the decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with an explosion of new atheism. Some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, and others worship their children. But everybody worships something. That, that idea alone, we could just go home. And workism is among the most potent of the new religions competing for congregants. What is workism? It is the belief that work is not only necessary to economic production, but also the counterpiece of one's identity and life's purpose. It's emotional, even spiritual. Americans, who can have whatever they want, have chosen the office for the same reason that devout Christians attend church on Sunday. It is where they feel most themselves. A culture that funnels its dreams of self-actualization into salary jobs that's setting itself up for collective anxiety, mass disappointment, and inevitable burnout. Our desk were never meant to be our altars. That's a line that when he wrote it, he was like, that's it right there. <laughs> our jobs were never meant to shoulder the burdens of a faith and they are buckling under the weight. You see, careerism is the natural byproduct of one who's turned inward, of, of one who has essentially said, I'm, I'm no longer going to be an outward-facing individual 
Careerism says, I am most important, therefore I'm turning inward. And I will make decisions based on, not based on what's best for others' human flourishing, not based primarily on what is faithful to the way of Jesus, to what looks uh, like the scriptural command to love God and love neighbor. I'm going to make career decisions based on myself. And I'm going to live in such a way uh, that would say that I am at the uh, center of who I am. One author says it. Well, let me say this. So work, so work primarily used to serve more of a um, unitarian purpose, right? So it was like you work to live, to eat, to consume uh, goods. It was about the basics of life. Uh, it wasn't about this kind of self-expression of a deeper self. Um, one author says it this way. He says, work sits at the heart of Americans' vision of human flourishing. It is much more than how we earn a living. It's how we earn dignity the right to count in society and to enjoy its benefits. For some of you, work is an obsession. I mean, I freaking love it. Now I'm there. Like I love, I love what I do. Uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy getting up in the morning. And, and it, it is an obsession. Some of you are like, I don't know how that's possible. Um, it, it is. For some of you are like, man, I just. Now that could be for unhealthy reasons that it's an obsession. Very much so. A lot of times it is. For others of you, work is a oppression, and you work to eat. You have to work. You got to pay rent. There's no like margin. It's like no, I need to work to eat. How do we view this thing that we do so often, and for so many hours in our day? And it could be vocational, like work that you do, right? Or if you're a student, you're like it could be your kind of degree. Your going after this degree like how are we to understand the biblical understanding of work what does the bible have to say well the bible has a lot to say about a lot of things and god's not silent on work so we're in good news okay genesis 2 you heard ariana read it but i'll read it first again genesis 2 starting in verse 8 this is the very beginning of the creation narrative um it says this it says the lord god planted a garden in eden in the east and there he placed the man that he had formed verse 9 the Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I love this. I think of all the metaphors that I think about careerism, all the metaphors that I think about, maybe not careerism, maybe all the metaphors for work, the one that I, I think is the best is this metaphor of a gardener. That what we do, the invitation that we have from God is an invitation to what? To cultivate and to create to cultivate and create. Look what he says, verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden. And he says two things here. It says, place him in the garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. To work it and to watch over it. Now, one of the things that's important, I think, on the front end is to, to address or just kind of say this thought, right? That um, God gave us work, not as a curse, but as a gift. Like work was pre-fall. It was pre Rebellion. If you go back and read the creation narrative and the fall of humanity, work was there in the beginning. It was there before. It existed beforehand. Um, God's made us actually to cultivate, to keep his creation, to prepare it, to protect it, right? We're to be stewards of God's creation through our work. This is what we see uh, in the scripture. This is why I think in a lot of ways, so many of us love our work. 
because it's, it's dialed into a deeply part of us that God has created us to be. They were like, oh man, this is, this is the invitation that we see in Genesis is to work. Now, we have a very, as humanity, have a what? A very unique way of taking something God has given us that's good and turning it wrong. Like we have a very great way of taking this wonderful, incredible gift of God, which is work, and, and turning it from this outward expression, and we'll look at it in a second, this outward expression that images God and, and cares for others, the flourishing of others, and turn it inward towards self-interest and self-advancement. And to make our decisions when it comes to our career primarily focused around inward advancement, inward uh, upper kind of mobility. But work in and of itself, work is as essential a human need as food, beauty, as food, beauty rest, friendship, prayer, sexuality. Without meaningful work, people experience what? Inner loss. And this is what we see. They experience emptiness. This is what happens. This is the process. God in the Old Testament. Um, so the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. So God, um, uh, if you know the story at all, God has... Given, uh, has pulled a people out of all the people of the world, and they call it Israelites. And God gives them some things and basically says to them through a leader named Moses, he says to them, hey, I'm going to give you some things that are going to help you flourish as a people, and that are going to make you distinct from everyone else around you. So he says you're going to flourish and be distinct. Now, we've traditionally called these things, and the Bible calls these things the Ten Commandments. Maybe you're, you're familiar with those. Listen to the fourth commandment that God gives them very early on in their kind of creation, what I would call the creation of the, of the Israelite kind of um, culture. Uh, this he says, Exodus chapter 20 uh, in verse 9. He says, you're to labor six days and to do all of your work. Labor six days and to do all your work. Someone should tell God about the four-day work week. Do you know what I mean? But he says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to labor for six days and then work. Now, in the past, when I've looked at this particular commandment, now it's the commandment to Sabbath, which is true. Like all of us should work into a rhythm of our week, a, a Sabbath. Like as hard as that is and as impossible as that feels, we, we have to. And I've always kind of read this fourth command as just a commandment to Sabbath, but it's also a command to work. It's also... This, this idea to cultivate and to create and to be a part of, of the creation story and what is happening. Now, we also know that the Bible makes it very clear that work is what? Work will be what? Difficult. The, the metaphor that the Bible gives for work and our relationship to work is thorns and thistles. So he says to, uh, this is what I love about the Bible, right? So the Bible is so, there's so much depth there, but it's also so practical, and so in Genesis 3, uh, when, when the, the consequences of Adam and Eve's rebellion is being laid out, the Bible basically says this. It says, take the two things you love the most, relationship with others and work. And he says, they're both going to be really hard. Isn't that what he says? Like to Eve, he says, hey, your relationship towards Adam is going to be difficult. You will have labor and labor pains, Right? And then to Adam, he uses the same kind of thought and says, you will labor against the earth. 
So the two things that we value most, both, both loving relationships and work, the Bible very much says these things will fight and work against us, that we will experience difficulty in these things. And so work, even when we develop a, a healthy picture, a healthy kind of theology of work, does not mean that work will not work against us. That's not what the, the Bible says. And, and I do want to say this. Um, maybe you can't seem to realize your like highest aspirations in, in your particular work that you're at. It, it, it doesn't mean that you've chosen wrongly. But, like it, it, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you're not called to, to that profession. Uh, it doesn't mean that you should spend the rest of your life looking for the perfect career that's going to fulfill all of your needs that will be devoid of frustration. Uh, it it's, doesn't mean that you need to do all these things. I, I think there needs to be an expectation that on a regular basis, we will be frustrated by our work. That things will be difficult. So set ourselves up incorrectly. And not go, man, I keep hitting these walls. That must mean God, I, I must be placed in the wrong place. It's like, no, this is life. This is work. This is what it looks like. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. Um, I wanna give you two reasons to think about developing a posture of contribution uh, versus kind of going with the flow of consuming, of moving it's just um, consuming kind of posture. Here's the two things that really simple base level things. Uh, first thing is I want us to see work as a way that we image God. Work is a way that we image God. The second thing that I wanna see, uh, look at is work is a means to care for others. So the two reasons that we should develop a posture of contribution versus having a posture of consuming all the time is that we need to see work as a way in which we image God. This is really important in a way in which we primarily care for um, others. Okay, in the most purest sense, when you work, you were, you were um, on a very normal level, you were imaging God, you were looking like God. This is what it means to be made in his image. To be made in his image is to what? Create, to, to cultivate, to build. Does it doesn't matter the field, but this is, this is what we, uh, see, like if we are going to be a community of contribution, we have to be a people who see ourselves as partners with God in our work. That he's not separate from, but he's a partner in our work. It's ultimately what we see in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 in this creation narrative. What we really see is God's invitation to humanity to be like him, to work the ground, to be his Partner, Eugene Peterson says it this way. Uh, I love Eugene Peterson. All right. He wrote a book called The Message. Maybe you read it before. It's a paraphrase. But anyways, he says, the Bible begins with the announcement, in the beginning, God created. Not set majestic in the heavens. He created. He did something. He made something. He fashioned heaven and earth. The week of creation was a week of work. That's what the creation story is. It's a week of work. God was giving Adam and Eve a responsibility to care and to cultivate. This is it, right? It's to care and to cultivate. This is our job. It doesn't matter if you're making a lesson plan, you're involved in some new technology, a speech, a new drug, you are imaging God. This is why the work that we do, no matter the work that we're doing, is of value. Uh, one seminary president of, of Fuller, uh, so he was, he was addressing a an audience of bankers in New York City one time. I thought this was so genius. And so he's got this audience in front of him that all they think is finance. And um, he, he basically wanted to show them that God was creator 
and investors. So he's trying to help them kind of get their mind around who God is. So this is what he says. Uh, he basically said, hey, God is the one who's made the world as a home for all kinds of creativity. This is, this is who God is. And so he said, I want you to think of God as an investment banker, because that's the audience that he, that he had. He said, this is what he did. He said, um, God leveraged his resources to create a whole new world of life. So God took the resources that he had, right? Not like that he created the ultimate level of resources. And it says that he, he, he took these, all these things that he created uh, for a new world of life. Then he said, in the, in the same way, he says, say you see a human need that's not being met. And he's mean with these people. So say you see a human need that's not being met. You see a talent or a resource that, that is a need that, that you, can, you can help meet. He says, what, what do you do? In your job, you do what? He says, well, you invest. You, you say to this person, I will give you my resources at my risk and at my cost. This is what an investment banker does. He, and you do that, why? So that the need is met and the result is what? It's new jobs, it's new products, uh, it's better quality of life for people. He, he says to these bankers, he says, what are you doing? He says, what you're doing is God-like. You're imaging God by doing the things that you do as bankers. This is true across the, the board. That, that work is essentially about stepping into God's um, creative, what I would say, God's creative cultural development. Uh, let's take, take farming, for instance. Anybody a farmer here? A few farmers? Nobody? Okay. Nobody wants that. There are some. Okay. Um, I play Farmville. All right, here we go. So farming, uh, let's think about this, this idea of stepping into God's pattern of cultural development. Uh, so farming does what? It takes the physical material, soil, and seed, and it produces food. Soil and seed, it produces food. Uh, maybe you're in music. What does music do? Um, music... Uh, it takes the physics of sound, it rearranges sound into something beautiful and thrilling that brings meaning to life for people. This is what sound does. Uh, when you take a, a piece of fabric and you make clothing, you are cultivating, you are creating. When you push a broom and clean up a room, when you use technology to harness the forces of electricity, when you take an uninformed young mind and teach it a subject, when you teach a couple how to resolve their relational disputes, when you take simple materials and turn them into an incredible piece of art, we're doing what? We're continuing God's work of forming and filling the earth. No matter where you're at on the spectrum, we're doing what? We're bringing order out of chaos. This is what we see happens with God. We're, we're drawing out the creative potential. We're unfolding creation right in front of our eyes. This is what we're doing. Now, if this is true, if this is true, that we image God by the way that we do our work, it's really important. Uh, there's, something, there's something called the ministry of competence, uh, the ministry of competence. And it basically means that if we're imaging God, then we should be doing the work the best that we can. Uh, author uh, Dorothy Sayers says, uh, she calls it serve the work. And it's really basically this idea that, um, it's this idea that like, if you're imaging God to the world around you, oh, you can take that away. I'm not there yet. Anytime I see everyone's eyes go to screen, I know something's happening. All right, so hang in there with me for a moment. We'll get there. Uh, it's basically this idea that, that if we image God, then the way that we do our work matters. And, and how well we do our work matters. That if people are looking at the quality of our work, uh, it means something. That, that we're actually 
good or bad, like our work, either good or bad is doing what is putting the spotlight on God. The worst possible thing that you could do, I don't know if anyone does this, but the worst possible thing you could do is go to work tomorrow and be like, man, church was so good. So good. It was just, it was just an incredible time together. Or you have, maybe you have your Bible out at lunch, and so you're trying to do your, you know, trying to do your, like, subtle little things. Do you know what I mean? Or you have, your, like, your cross necklace on, so you, like, pull it out. It's normally under your shirt, but you pull it out at work. Cause just because, you know, maybe it'll cause something, right? Or you have, like, a Hebrew tattoo or just something, right? You're just, anything you can do to, like, get into that conversation the least possible way, right? Um, and, and you're doing that, and you're kind of doing the thing, and you're just the worst coworker in the world. That's the worst, like, that's the worst possible thing that you could do. It is. I'm just there, there. There can't be this break between if we're imaging God in our work, then we have to do our work to the best that we can, to, to the best of our ability. So if you're a student, right, you're, you're doing the work of what? You're, you're doing the best work that you can. Not not all A's. I would have been in trouble. Um, that's not what I'm saying. But you're doing the best work that you can. You're 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 participating on the online forums. You're, you're doing the things. You're being respectful of your professor, right? You're actually showing up to group with your work done. Why? Because you're imaging God. This is what you're doing. If you're, um, if you're in finance, you're saying, okay, if I'm imaging God, then I'm refusing to participate in unethical practices. Why? Because I'm, I'm imaging God. I want, to do, I want to do what I do, and I want to do it well, but I need to do it in such a way that it properly images God. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, um, let me say this. If you're a barista, let me just, I, I want to make sure I hit all the spectrums, right? If you're a barista, first of all, I love you, right? And um, I appreciate you. Like, you should be work, you know, working on this, the thing, the, 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 the art thing. You should, you know what I mean? Don't hand us a coffee with just like, just fluff. Like actually do, you know what I mean? Like do the work, put the lid on. Why? Because you're imaging God. This is silly, but like don't over, don't make it too hot. All right, sorry. I've got problems. All right. Um, Dorothy Sayers uh, says it this way. <clears throat> she says, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him to not be a drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. That he should make good tables. That if we want the world to properly see God, then, then yes, we're communicating the gospel with our, our voice. We have to. Yes, we're sharing the way of Jesus. We're, we're doing these things, but we're also doing our work well. It is not, and you hear this, what you do is not just a job. No matter whether you hate it, whether you love it, whether it's temporary or whether it's long-term, whether it's like your dream job or you're like, I would like to eat this week. It's not just simply a job. It is a way in which you image to the world that this is the God that I serve and love. This is what he looks like. This is who he is. This is how he's informed and shaped me. Uh, the American novelist, um, William Dahl says this. He says, through our work, 
we can touch God in a variety of ways. But if the call of the Christian is to participate in God's, in God's ongoing creative process, the bedrock of our ministry has to be competency. We must use our talents in as competent a matter as possible. Competency is a basic value. It is not a means to some other end, such as wealth or position, although such results may occur. Competence in work is a form of love. It's a form of love to both those that are your supervisors and those that serve under you. It's a form of love. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, so whatever you do, uh, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. He said the same thing to the church at Colossae, Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All of these things are ways in which we are imaging God to the world around us. Second thing that we need to see, so if the first one is work is a means to image God, the second thing that we need to see is work is a means to care for others. Tim Keller defines the theology of work this way. It's a really good definition. He says, uh, work is this. It's rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential. Why? Why are we working to draw out its potential? He says, for the flourishing of others. The biblical understanding of work is not primarily concerned with your self-advancement. It's primarily concerned with the flourishing of others. That our work should be a means by which we bless others by which we um, care for others. Last week, uh, or, or um, the week we talked about uh, community, we said that the enemy to community is individualism. This this idea that, that me is greater than we, that that's kind of the water that we swim in, it's the air that we breathe. It's the same thing when it comes to thinking about a careerism. Uh, Robert Bella says it this way in a book called Habits of the Heart. It's really good. But he basically says that work is an answer to the age of individualism or seeing work as seeing godly work, doing work in a godly way is the answer to, answer to individualism. He says it this way. He says, to make a real difference, there would have to be a reappropriation of the idea of vocation or calling, right? That's all like calling, vocation. This is what we're in. A return in a new way to the idea of work as what? as contribution to the good of all and not merely as a means to one's own advancement. I think, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. I think a lot of us have to um, take a really clean look at the motivations behind our work. Why do you do what you do? Why do you make the decisions that you make at your work? Like even my job, uh, I'm a pastor. Um, in, in my, like, uh, it's weird. Doing ministry is weird. Being a pastor is a strange thing. Uh, there is a very real way in which you could do my job and it not really essentially be about helping people see Jesus more clearly. It could really become about uh, self-advancement and about feeling valuable as an individual. Ministry, unfortunately, has this way of attracting those types of people. I don't know what that is. But even in my job, there's this real tendency to be like, okay, what's motivating me to do what I do, to say what I say, to participate in this particular uh, way? We have to ask these questions, right? Um, most of us, and this will probably uh, would upset your parents, but um, 
most of us, when we're thinking about our future career, we, we ask this question. Uh, what will make me the most money and give me the most status? Well, okay, whatever will make me the most money and give me the most status. So anytime I'm talking to a college student, I'm like, hey, tell me about your future. And like, what are you, what are you passionate about? Like, what has God wired you for? And, and anytime I'm talking to the college student, and they're like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, but this job pay, like, I, just, I, can, I can feel the like pressure underneath them, right? And I'm like, is that your parents? Like who, you know what I mean? Some of you are like, yes, yes, it is my mom. All right, so um, the question really should be, how do I use my, my abilities, my giftings, the opportunities I've, I've been given? How do I use these things to uh, advance human flourishing, to, to correctly spotlight what it means to be made in the image of God? Th these are the questions that we should be asking ourselves. We cannot disconnect our work and faith. Uh, Mark Knoll in The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, he, he basically says this. He says that God wants to be involved in your work. This is, this is how he says it. He says, who, after all, made the world of nature? So think about all the fields that we have, right? So he says, who, after all, made the world of nature and then made possible the development of sciences through which we could find out more about nature? Who formed the universe of human interactions and so provided the raw material for politics, economics, sociology, and history? Who is a source of harmony, form, and narrative pattern, and so lies behind all artistic and literary possibilities? Who created the human mind in such a way that it could grasp the endless realities of nature, of human interactions, of beauty, and so make possible all the theories of such matters by philosophers and psychologists? Who, moment by moment, sustains the natural world, the world of human interactions, and the harmonies of existence? Who maintains moment by moment the connections between what is in our minds and what is in the world beyond our minds? The answer in every case is the same. God did it and God does it. He wants to. He needs to be involved in your work. He's underneath all of it anyways. He gave you that ability anyways. He's not separate outside of that. Uh, I remember... Um, uh, one of the most marking conversations I've ever had in my entire life was around this idea of work. And it was around this idea of, of seeing the flourishing of others. So I'm meeting with a guy, uh, kind of mentoring him. He's a little bit younger than me. And we're having this conversation and he comes from a great family, good mom and dad uh, present in the home. And, uh, and he has this conversation with me and we're talking about his dad and his dad's you know, working, he has two other brothers. And, and this is what he said to me, I've never been able to, I've never been able to move past it. But he, he said to me, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but he basically said, um, yeah, my dad uh, is really, he's successful, really good at what he does. And he said, but my dad for the last 15 years has never moved up in his corporation, his company. And he said, the reason that my dad's never moved up in his company or corporation is because he knows if he takes that particular job, it'll actually cost him more than it would give him. And he said, my dad just kind of assessed and looked around and said, okay, I have this family that God's called me to care for. I have these children that God's called me to invest in. I have this community, this church around me that God's called me to, to be a part of, to use my gift set, to use what I have to do it. And he said, if he like told his kids, this, he's like, if I take that, it hurts all of that. And so he's like, I'm just gonna stay right here. And I remember thinking that I was like, Oh my gosh, that's the craziest thing that I've ever heard. Some of you this morning, can I just say this? Like some of you this morning, 
you make enough money. Like you do. Some of you are like, no, I actually don't make enough money. Right. But some of you do. And, and, and the best thing for you, the best way that you could image God, the best way that you could help the flourishing of others is actually say no to a position that you may would be really fantastic at, but you know it would cost you in other areas. It would be difficult for you in other areas. You've cultivated really healthy relationships at this level. And if you know if you move to that, the cultivation of these relationships that you've been pouring into will be gone. Perhaps you're really good at this. And you know if you leave this, it will hurt this. And maybe you should just consider it. I'm not, I'm not saying you should not take the job. I'm just saying we should, we should, listen, there's life before Christ and there's life after Christ. And if we're making decisions um, about our career and future before Christ, shouldn't life after Christ influence now this? Shouldn't it? Shouldn't we primarily think, how do we contribute to the world around us, not consume it? Um, final, final thought here, uh, and then we'll be done. So uh, the Hebrew word uh, for work in Genesis 2.15 is work. Uh, we see it. If you go back, you can, you can see it. It's the verse that we begin with, that he told them to work and uh, watch over. Now, here's the fascinating thing. And I don't, I don't, not presuming to know what the, the Hebrew biblical writers uh, are writing, but do you know what the other word, um, do you know what that word also is for? It's work or service but it's also the same word for worship. Same as that word. So um, Exodus 34, 21, it says that you are to labor six days and then rest on the seventh. That word labor is the Hebrew word for work, service. Uh, Psalm 104, 23, it says man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. Same Hebrew word there for um, work and labor. It's the same Hebrew word there. Now if kick back, Exodus 8.1. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may what? Worship me. Same Hebrew word that we've seen for work and labor. Joshua 24.15. It's a popular verse. Maybe you have it like stitched on your house at home. Joshua 24.15. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will what? We will work for the Lord. No, it's we will worship the Lord. Now, again, I don't presume to know what the, the biblical writers are, are doing here or can assume to kind of know that. But I do think there's probably a parallel in how we work and how we worship or how we view our work and how we view worship. Like in a lot of ways, work just on a very high basic level is worship. What is worship? Worship is what? It is like saying you are what's most important. I'm giving, I'm, I'm recognizing you, God, is most important. Giving myself to you. I'm reprioritizing. That, that is worship. That is work. To say my work is my worship is to say that the number one priority in my life is not me, it's Jesus. That what I do, I just want it to be a pointer to God. And that will change the way that you make decisions at your work should change the way that you work. Um, final thing, John Coltrane, the greatest jazz player ever. Like, we can have a fight about it, whatever. Um, in his uh, masterpiece called A Love Supreme, this is what he wrote inside the, um, 
the liner notes uh, of that. That used to be a thing. All right, here we go. I love this, John Coltrane. He says, this album is a humble offering to him, an attempt to say thank you, God, through our work, even as we do in our hearts and with our tongues. May he, may he help and strengthen all men in every good endeavor. It's our humble attempt to say thank you, God, to all the work that I do. I, I think... I think John Coltrane, he's, he's got a lot of things right. I think he got that right. 